Greetings, kids and kids at heart alike. It's Allison Dixon here with another round of Ding Dong Ditch. If you like these bite-sized episodes of Ding Dong Darkness Time, be sure to let the rest of the world know with a glowing review on iTunes. Then one day I might have enough fans to invite over for a great big slumber party. You know, the kind where you stay up all night eating junk food, watching movies, and playing games. Truth or Dare was always a must, but my real favorites were the creepy ones like Bloody Mary and Light as a Feather. So today I'm going to talk about one of them, the more uplifting one. On its face, it seems impossible. How can a group of children lift an entire person off the ground using nothing more than two of their fingers? I was about 10 years old the first time I ever played Light as a Feather. It was the middle of the night and a whole gaggle of us young girls were crammed into my friend's tiny bedroom, every square inch of exposed floor piled with blankets, pillows, snacks, and plastic carrying cases bearing all manner of makeup, art supplies, and Barbie dolls. Our notepads were also filled with various games of MASH we'd played earlier in an effort to predict our futures. If you don't know what MASH is, I'll leave a link in the show notes. But I like to think of that game as the equivalent of the whole thing where a thousand monkeys are clocking away on typewriters and one of them eventually writes War and Peace. Those countless sheets of paper containing hundreds of alternate versions of my destiny are forever lost to the oblivion of a Michigan landfill, but... I firmly believe one of them shows my precise existence as it is now. Anyway, we were waiting for the parents to fall asleep so we could finally play this mysterious levitation game we'd heard about somewhere. It seemed way too good to be true, but at that age, still teetering precipitously on the fence between ever-waning childhood and burgeoning puberty, which would send us all in very different directions, we were still willing to believe enough to give it a try. So in the darkness... With only the aid of a nearby street lamp outside to aid visibility, one of the group, not me, laid on the floor and we gathered around her in a circle, placing our pointer and middle fingers underneath her body. Then we began a chant that went something like this. She's dying. She's getting sicker. She's dead. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. We repeated it one more time because the rule of three obviously applies in all manners spooky and paranormal. And then we lifted upward. What happened next has always lived in my head as something I assumed was misremembered. But now, after doing a little digging for this show, I'm not so sure, but I'll get to that in a minute. My hands, fingers outstretched, raised swiftly into the air, seemingly having lifted nothing at all. But a moment later, there was a scream and a crash, and then everyone fell apart shrieking with laughter. The ruckus was so loud, my friend's mom burst in and reprimanded us to be quiet and go to sleep, as if that would happen, especially as we were sure in that moment we just made direct contact with the spirit world. Mostly, though, I was just confused. The friend we'd lifted assured us all she'd totally left the ground, hence the crash. But I'd had my eyes closed when the chant started, so I didn't actually see her leave the ground, and I certainly didn't feel it. In some ways, I felt like they were all playing a prank on me. I was the sensitive and gullible one, and it definitely wouldn't have been the first time someone thought I'd make a fun mark to thrill or scare. No one else wanted to do it again, though. 
and I was definitely out because again, if anyone was looking to play a trick on me, I wasn't having it. So we eventually fell into some other activity and life went on. In the many decades since though, I've looked back on that night with a great deal of uncertainty because while I'll never forget the feeling of that effortless lift, my brain always attributed it to something else. And if anyone ever asked if I played light as a feather and whether it worked, I never knew exactly what to answer. Human memory is a tricky thing, more of a jumbled puzzle arranged into approximate coherence than a detailed chronicle. In fact, the cognitive theory of reconstructive memory asserts that our myriad recollections are stored in various parts of the brain. And when we try to access them and splice them together, they're subject to all sorts of distortions, all depending on things like our emotions and unique perceptions and our overall knowledge of the world around us. Even our socioeconomic status can have an influence on this. You could truthfully be conveying an episode of your life, but it could still be distorted and incorrect because it's how your brain spat that information out. Without getting too far off the rails, I've been using an AI art generator called Midjourney. Basically, you feed it whatever prompts you can think of, and it will produce four different takes on that prompt. And you can be as simple or as detailed as you want. And one, I just said, delicious sushi. And I got a computer's very uncanny valley approach to nigiri rolls. And then in another, I asked it to produce a scene I called The Betrayal of Jesus by Judas in the Baroque style of the artist Caravaggio, whom we covered back in season one. What it produced was something that very clearly resembled the visceral action, turmoil, coloring and lighting of Caravaggio's work. The canvas was filled with all manner of people in the dress of Jesus's time period and the exaggerated poses he often used in his work, but all the faces were a strange smudge, almost as if it were a remembered dream of a Caravaggio painting. It was both fascinating to view and a little unsettling, but it was also the perfect demonstration of what our memories tend to look like in our heads. This is why things like eyewitness testimony can be unreliable. You may be 100% certain you witnessed something, but your brain is going to throw up all sorts of obstacles that keep that memory from being infallible. This grows increasingly problematic the more time passes. This is why some other memories of this game and ones like it that use a feather duster to tickle at ideas of the supernatural, like Bloody Mary, which will be discussed on a future episode, can be a little suspicious. On Reddit, a post by user FenderBender1971 recounted a story of playing light as a feather at a summer camp, and soon after the successful levitation, encountering strange orbs in the trees outside the cabin. The experience has haunted them to this day, and they haven't played light as a feather or any game like it since. Another account, this one found over on yourghoststories.com, claims she was haunted by the spirit of a woman in white for weeks after playing. Were they truly visited by spirits after the conclusion of this innocent, if a little morbid, childhood game? Or is there some other fallacy of reconstructive memory or some other forms of suggestion at play? I can't say for sure, but my strong agnostic heart will always go with the answer, I believe you believe. Your perceptions on these things are unique to you. So who came up with this whole game anyway, and does it actually work? Did I help lift my friend off the ground with nothing more than the power contained in the first two fingers of my hands? The short answer to that is yes. But let's go with history before we get to science. 
The first reported sighting of this game in action goes way back to 1665. The witness was British Parliament member Samuel Pepys, who was in Bordeaux, France, when he saw a group of four young girls kneeling around a young boy on the floor. After they performed their own version of a chant, they lifted him as high as they could. Pepys was at first dubious about the veracity of what he'd seen until they called out the head cook of the kitchen to play with them, who was much larger than the young boy, and apparently the girls were just as successful at lifting him. By the way, here is the English translation of the chant the girls used. Here is a body, stiff as a stick, cold as marble, light as spirit. Lift yourself in the name of Jesus Christ. The diaries of Samuel Pepys are a pretty fascinating read. He lived through the plague, the great fires of London, and other notable events of the English Restoration period. You can still buy print copies of his diaries, in fact. A fitting name for a man who bears witness to something. Peeps. I thought that was pretty funny. Although it was difficult to pin down the true origin of this game, consensus seems to rest in it being a product of its time. The plagues were still raging during this period, wiping out at least 15% and up to a third of the population of Europe, depending on when and where. As such, death was an almost mundane part of life for adults and children alike. Thousands of dead bodies were buried in mass graves or dumped into rivers and many times just filled the streets, which only exacerbated the problem as the disease spread via fleas on rats and the plague didn't exactly die with the host. Add all this tragedy to the increased spread of Christianity across the world, a religion whose cornerstone involves resurrection, and it's not hard to see how games involving bringing back the dead had become commonplace. Just imagine every kid of the Middle Ages being a mega Wednesday Adams or Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. I myself am strange and unusual. But more than that, kids just love toying with the taboo or putting fun spins on it. They tell each other creepy stories like those you'd find in the Brothers Grimm. They sing songs like London Bridge is Falling Down or Ring Around the Rosie. They tempt fate with Ouija boards or calling out to ghostly women by repeating her name into mirrors. They read and share creepypasta like Slenderman or Siren Head. They play Pokemon. What's that you say? I called Pokemon taboo and dark? Well, yeah. What else would you call removing cute creatures from their homes, trapping them in tiny pocket prisons, and then making them fight each other to the death? The game of Pokemon is basically a simulator for being a Roman emperor, and that's without even getting into some of the truly bizarre origins of the creatures themselves. Take Cubone, for instance, a sweet baby animal who wears the skull of his dead mother in combat. And that's only one of many morbid and creepy characters in that beloved children's game. But we'll leave Pokemon for another episode. The point is, kids have always been creepy little shits. And honestly, that's kind of how we want them to be. And rest assured, light as a feather does actually work. And it has nothing at all to do with witchcraft or other forms of woo. You, with the help of your friends can lift another one of your friends with little more than the power of your two four fingers. But how? Well, it turns out your fingers are a lot stronger than you think they are. Ever picked up a bag of heavy groceries? 
Those phalanges sprouting from your palms are capable of supporting up to nearly 50 pounds of weight. Let's say you have a 150 pound person to lift and three other friends to aid you. Provided you lift at the same time, that friend of yours will go soaring up into the air. And that's the key takeaway here, the simultaneous lift. When you all try to do it at different times, the trick doesn't work because it requires precision. If an aspiring magician were trying to demonstrate this trick for an audience, they might have the group attempt the lift without any sort of prep. And of course, it would fail, which is all part of the show, right? Because then comes in the power of the chant. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. And as a once practicing Buddhist, I can absolutely attest to how chanting can focus the mind into a laser beam, centering you both within yourself and in the present moment. But even the simplest routine of counting down from three serves much the same purpose. Ever helped someone move a couch or a heavy bookcase? Same deal. Count to three and lift with your knees. If you want to maximize the effort of a group, you synchronize and do a countdown. And for a game like Light as a Feather, the focus effect is even more powerful if you spend a few minutes building the mood. Like saying she looks dead. Even some modern day versions of this game give a whole story about how the person died before you commence with the lifting part. But if you really get someone to focus on the task at hand, lifting your friend into the air with your fingertips is actually quite simple. In other words, teamwork is boss here, as it is with so many human endeavors. When we put our minds together, we can do so much. All my love in the world goes out to the hermits and introverts. I am one of you, but we cannot discount the power of joining forces. This is how the pyramids get built and how bodies are levitated. That said, I tried and tried to find some sort of documentation of who actually came up with the idea of lifting someone this way in the first place. Was it morbid little kids or did they take the basic physical concept and dress it up to be a little creepy? I struck out on my research there, unfortunately, but I do still wonder who discovered this physical feat in the first place. If any of you listening happen to know this, please feel free to reach out. But for now, I'm just going to speculate. Given how far back this game has been documented, I'm willing to lean more toward the happy accident side. After all, going all the way back to ancient Egypt, we've been able to surmise and demonstrate how they used water, ramps, and pulleys to move blocks of stone weighing several tons in order to build the pyramids. It's not too hard to imagine someone with a similar mind testing out the finger lift within an inanimate object and then eventually, as with all experiments, trying it on a person. How that eventually evolved into a child's parlor game could be attributed to that plague and Jesus-infused culture I mentioned earlier. After learning what I experienced at that slumber party when I was a kid was physically possible, I've allowed myself to believe it actually did happen, or rather because of the constraints of reconstructive memory after more than 30 years, that it was at least possible. What can we glean from all this? Have I yet again poured cold water on something that even today has people believing it opens the door to the supernatural, that this is nothing more than an act of simple physics? Not exactly. As I said before, memory and perception are as unique to a person as their fingerprints. So if something unusual happens to occur after you engage in a game that calls to something spiritual, it might feel very natural for you to assume that paranormal forces are at play. 
However, if you're more of the atheistic mindset, you might see it as a coincidence or attribute it to some other natural phenomenon. I'm not here to tell someone their perceptions are wrong. I'm mainly interested in all the ways human perceptions are shaped. And more importantly, I'm happy to revel in the variety and mystery of it all. The goal with these games, after all, is to give ourselves the creeps. So put the nerdy factoids aside and just go with it. In future episodes, I plan to talk about more spooky party games like Bloody Mary and the Ouija board and some of the more obscure ones. But I want to leave you with one you could all try by yourself that might leave you feeling a little paranoid, if not petrified, for at least a few hours. It's called The Midnight Game, and all you have to do is write your full name, first, middle, and last, on a strip of paper and place it in front of a door. The article I was reading specified it had to be a wooden door, but I don't know if that's terribly important, so if you have plastic doors, stone doors, or whatever, I I say go for it. So then you place a candle on top of the paper and light it. And then you knock on the door 22 times, timing it so that the final knock happens just at the stroke of midnight. So you're going to need probably a stopwatch or uh, something of that nature. Then you blow out the candle and open the door. This is when the midnight man comes through and he will apparently hunt you through your house until 3.30 a.m. That's right. I said hunt because that's what the article said. And in order to avoid him finding you, you're supposed to walk around your dark house with a candle. If it blows out, the midnight man has your trail. If you fail to get the candle relit, you're supposed to surround yourself with salt and I guess just wait it out. So I guess that also means maybe make a kit ahead of time, which includes salt, a lighter, and maybe a spare candle, because I don't know that I would want the candle to go out. That's just me. Or maybe you just go in with nothing and confront the midnight man face to face. If you try this game, do let me know what happens and Godspeed. All right. Thanks for taking another short journey with me. If you have any other topics you want me to talk about, reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at ddarknesstime or message me through ddarknesstime at gmail.com. And again, reviews make the show grow. Help me with my goals of world domination, won't you? And drop over onto iTunes and leave a friendly recommendation. Also give the longer episodes a listen if you haven't yet. My research on cults is both freaking me out and getting me really excited for season three, and I can't wait to unleash those on the world. I'll be back with another Ditch episode soon, but until then, be good, you little ding-dongs.